that's one of the other lessons that I think we've learned from Energy Catalyst is the community is really important. Um, so the community of innovators working together, not just on a single project, but across projects is really valuable. So those lessons that you know people are learning and sharing with industry and helping people not to make the same mistakes actually progresses the industry much quicker. And having worked at Innovate UK, I mean, I've, I've worked at Innovate UK for seven years, took over Energy Catalyst about three years in, and um, the community around um, development and energy access is much more open and collaborative than any other kind of market I've worked in. And that was Alice Goodbrook, Innovation Lead with Energy Catalyst, and this is the Power for All podcast. The Power for All podcast is a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. And I'm your host, Christina Skerka, founder and CEO of Power for All. In today's episode, we're talking about the UK's Energy Catalyst Program, which is one of the larger funders of private sector innovation and energy access. Energy Catalyst supports UK and international businesses and organizations to develop highly innovative, market-focused energy technologies to enable energy access in Sub-Saharan Africa, as well as Southeast Asia. And before we get too far into this podcast, let me first tell you that Power for All is a global campaign of over 300 partners around the world. We're united in our dedication to end energy poverty faster. You can learn more about Power For All on our website, uh, powerforall.org, on our socials, and of course, by subscribing to our newsletter. As a 501c3 organization, Power For All depends on the generosity of listeners like you. Please consider supporting our work and donating at powerforall.org slash donate. But for today, welcome to you, Alice. Hi, and thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for making time. Uh, to get started, could you share a little bit more about Energy Catalyst itself and how it fits into the UK government's efforts to really support overseas development and energy access? Yeah, of course. So um, the Energy Catalyst mission is to accelerate the innovation needed to end energy poverty. Um, we provide financial and advisory support to innovators to help create strategic partnerships, uncover insights and develop business models to improve lives in Africa and Asia. And um, we're a bit different in comparison to a lot of what Innovate UK, which is the kind of bigger organisation I work for, and um, the kind of grant funding that they usually provide in that the Innovate UK, kind of the clues in the name really, um, does a lot of focus on UK business and UK, UK economic growth. But it has these programmes such as Energy Catalyst, which I think is now probably the biggest one in Innovate UK, that uses things like the aid budget to, to focus on the economic development of the low-income countries that are on um, what we call the DAC list and eligible for UK aid. Um, and it's much more focused on you know, trying to create equitable partnerships between different countries and different organisations to be able to help hit the energy access needs of the countries it's working in. Mm, okay, great. And had you always seen yourself working in development and finance and being part of the UK aid system? Or was this a bit of a surprise in, in your career journey? Yeah, no, I'm, I've got no idea how I ended up doing this. It's madness, really. <laughs> Um, I can remember, so I always wanted to do something around sustainability and renewable energy. So that bit's not that big a surprise. I think I was um, 
I've got, I, I wish I still spoke to this teacher, but this teacher, when I was about 15 years old, um, showed me like a, a, an article which had like half the world underwater. It was all to do with climate change. And he kind of said these words to me. It was like, my generation have caused the issue. Your generation's going to sort it. He's like, go make that your life's work. And it sounds so ridiculously movie-like, but it really stuck with me. And um, yeah. and I just always wanted to try and do something useful. So I ended up kind of studying um, geography and climate change and sustainability. I did a master's in leadership for sustainable development, then worked in energy for a couple of years, kind of buying and selling electricity. Then actually, actually I joined the grad scheme at Innovate UK and gradually started working in grant programmes and the opportunity came up to run Energy Catalyst when a colleague left and I jumped in it. So I'm um, kind of, yeah, my background isn't international development focused, but it's much more kind of business focused and trying to get good grant programs running. Um, but yeah, it's wonderful being able to kind of tackle not only sustainability, but kind of energy access for something that I think is kind of really key for tackling climate change. So yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a dream come true, really, which sounds so, oh, so, so Hollywood, but never mind, let's go with it. <laughs> Yeah, that's. <laughs> I hope your bosses are listening to this podcast. <laughs> so, so Alice, um, you know, I heard a lot in your comments there about innovation and um, innovation. Obviously, it's a buzzword we hear a lot. It's especially when it comes to energy and technology. Um, it's always part of the discussion around renewables and the energy transition. And so, why is that focus on innovation? a part of Energy Catalyst? So it's kind of a part of what Innovate UK kind of specialises in. And it's the reason that I guess we get the funding for Energy Catalyst is because of that innovation element. Because um, we think, though it is a kind of buzzword now in, I guess, in the mainstream literature, we kind of consider it to be something very specific. And it's very much about making something new and introducing new methods in order to tackle a challenge or a specific need in the market. And then when you kind of drill it down to grant funding programmes like Energy Catalyst, it's about risky innovation. So it's finding the technologies and business models out there that are far too early stage for conventional finance, such, such as like, you know, investment or a bank loan. But yet they have this massive potential to be market changing or to actually really change lives. Um, but without kind of grant funding, they've got no way of getting to market because no one's going to give them money. So unless you happen to be a very rich C, um, SME, which... Not, there are not many of them around that I've met yet. Um, they've just got no chance. And this is where grant funding really comes into its own because it allows an organisation to try something out without it making or breaking the company. Um, and if their idea does work, it allows them then later access to conventional finance because the grant funding has provided this kind of proving ground for their idea. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And I'm curious, is, is there some sense of balance between... Um, the investment in UK-based companies of UK origin versus local entrepreneurs in the countries that you're focused on? So we do have a lot of UK organisations working on the programme. It's kind of a, a consequence of the money coming through Innovate UK and the kind of um, networks that we've we're attached to. But actually the funding is open to any organisation from anywhere in the world that is focusing on doing clean energy access and is looking at trying to, I guess, 
tackle the very specific market challenges that the energy access world has. And that can be like the ability to pay, especially when you're working in such low income countries, um, kind of the cultural independencies that you get uh, when trying to implement energy um, projects in the different um, countries across Africa and Asia, as well as kind of tackling the different infrastructure. You know, trying to implement a project in Malawi is very different to implementing a project in Vietnam. Um, and so it's kind of very important for people to be able to tackle kind of all of those and be able to make it work. Right. So, and so maybe walk us through the process. So I know that there's this ongoing conversation. I, I heard about round seven and then round eight, et cetera. So what is this process of rounds? And, and then maybe also as part of that, give us an overview of really what you think the program has achieved so far through this process and, and maybe anything you can tell us about some of the companies supported um, and maybe some of their innovation. Yeah, of course. Um, so we try and fund a grant uh, competition once a year. And so all our grant funding is competitive. So we'll say we are going to release £20 million in June and it's going to be competitively tendered and you can apply in for a project um, to get that funding. Um, it normally has to be a collaborative project. Um, you often have to have a UK admin lead because of the way Innovate UK works. But the technology lead can be from anywhere in the world as long as you're doing clean energy access, which is like affordable, reliable and low carbon. Um, but... It's more than a competition. In fact, it's a program because we have these different elements around it. So we have something called what we call collaboration building. And we're kicking that off at the moment, um, which I'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, so we try and get different organisations from across the world to meet in person. Uh, because though one thing I think the pandemic's taught me is human interaction is so important when creating partnerships. Um, so we take kind of UK organisations out to Africa and Asia. We attend events where we can talk to um, different com companies from across the world to explain what Energy Catalyst is and provide them with some of the kind of, I guess, challenges and opportunities that we're working on to see if they're interested. And this enables them to create kind of a good like, project to then apply into the grant funding programme when it launches. Um, but we also have an accelerator on the side of it. So everyone that gets awarded Energy Catalyst funding also gets access to the accelerator, which is kind of like business support. So when the grant funding will help you develop your technology, your technology is ready for market, the accelerator will help your business grow so it's commercially ready to the market too. Um, so that can be anything from like helping with investments, creating a business plan or doing a bit of market research, whatever your business needs to be able to become market ready. That's great, Alice. Thanks so much for, for sharing that context. And anything you can tell us, some maybe some statistics or numbers about what the program has been able to do for energy access companies? Yeah, sure. So um, it was started in 2014, but before I was around uh, in the organisation. And we've run, like you said, eight rounds to date and committed about, I think it's about £140 million. So it's getting quite big. And the last kind of couple of rounds have been solely focused on this energy access challenge. So to date, we've funded about 135 projects um, involving more than 300 unique organisations. I think about a third of those are international. Um, and we kind of fund anything that's clean energy from solar to storage to mini grids to energy efficiency. Um, 
and kind of working in 29 separate countries, though it is open to more countries than that. We just haven't had projects yet. And I think to date, the stats are roughly 160-ish new technologies that we've prototyped or demonstrated in Africa and Asia, a couple of hundred long-term jobs that we've created, um, more than £30 million worth of public sector funding one off the back of Energy Catalyst. And kind of projects, because it's um, been running for a couple of years now, companies are starting to get to market. So I think last year they managed to do about £4 million worth of sales just off the back of the projects that had closed. Um, so it's kind of gaining momentum as it goes on um, and hopefully creating some really useful, innovative um, technologies which uh, can provide some really good, energy, really good, reliable, clean energy access in Africa and Asia. Yeah, well, in, in on Africa, um, that's obviously one of the main focus regions. Um, and, you know, you're no stranger to these statistics, right? That Africa as a continent contributes about 4% of global emissions. Um, and yet we're in this, you know, difficult space where over 40% of the population lacks reliable access to electricity. And at the same time, we know the continent is one of the areas most affected by and vulnerable to climate change. So I'm curious how that, and you know, obviously this connects to you know COP26, COP27. Um, how would you say that that you know all of that works into your approach and the decision making process uh, to what is funded going forward? When we talk about energy access, we talk about clean energy access. Um, so it has to be affordable, reliable, and then most importantly, low carbon. And if the technology or business model isn't going to do all three we won't fund it it's kind of it's one of the key bits of eligibility that we always had we used to call it the energy trilemma the energy trilemma is a bit of old hat now but um the actual kind of fundamentals of what it's doing isn't it's all about a sustainable energy technology and kind of as we've i guess of as, as we've kind of gone through the years there's been a definite shift and that was kind of reflected in a lot of what COP26 is doing around kind of sustainable development goal seven, which is obviously um, energy access for all and sustainable development goal 13, which is much more around climate mitigation. And I think it's um, it's kind of an interesting kind of realisation that the world seems to have woken up to, which I always thought was ridiculously obvious, but apparently not, that actually in the global north, much about kind of climate change and things is around the energy efficiency and the kind of changing over from carbon intensive technologies to low carbon intensive technologies. But actually, when you're talking about energy supply and trying to create more energy, that entire market is in the global south in developing and emerging economies. And that actually, in order to be able to hit this kind of 1.5 degree, I guess, limit that we believe the, the world can cope with, is not just going to work by doing energy efficiency where currently a lot of the energy uses there needs to be this focus on actually allowing countries to grow economically but doing so in a sustainable fashion but it's affordable for the communities that are going through it and um and i think kind of if you look at some of the cop announcements um like so for, for us we work really closely with the foreign commonwealth development office and a program called transforming energy access if you haven't heard of it give it a Google because it does some amazing stuff and kind of slight plug for us. It, it also funds Energy Catalyst. It's one of our key funders. But, um, they announced £126 million of new money. And that was kind of on, under the same announcement where they started talking about 
the fact that coal is going to be phased out. And so there is this, definitely this move around understanding that, I guess, climate change is a global problem and that energy access can't be seen in isolation. It has to be seen through the angle of creating energy access in very much a sustainable, low carbon way that is fit for purpose for the different communities um, in play. And you can see that kind of through some of the projects that we're working on where, you know, they are, there is this massive, I guess, danger of climate change really impacting them in terms of, you know, sea level rises around Asia and some of the weather conditions, especially where farming is so important for kind of local communities. And a lot of our projects are kind of trying to tackle that while creating the energy access that they require to grow their economies. So it's a, it's a really interesting kind of space to be involved in at the moment. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, these different rounds of companies and their innovations, I'm curious, what is the focus or, or what have we learned in the process of funding eight rounds now um, about how these companies are part of, you know, another big conversation coming out of COP, which is about just transition? You know, how are we seeing an alignment around clean energy access and just transition, meaning jobs? I'm just curious if you have any perspectives on that yet. I think there's, be- there's becoming kind of, I guess, a, a more obvious case around the requirement of like productive use, especially in some of the, the project results that we've seen. So kind of the way a lot of our innovations work is it's not just technology innovation. So yeah, we do some projects where like storage is a key example. We're funding loads of things like sodium ion technologies and chemistries for batteries to try and make batteries more sustainable, um, uh, less environmentally polluting um, and uh, cheaper, basically. Um, but then we also get the ones where, you know, they have got a technology which is is not particularly innovative. So there's a company which I went to see in Uganda called Pay and Pump, and they've got this beautiful little um, simple solar-powered water pump for use in irrigation. Um, they use kind of marsh water and ponds, rivers, and um, a big part of what they're project was was actually around the mobile payment system which allowed users to make different payment plans and as part of it they developed kind of two new business models around lease to own and pay as you go um and which allowed them to trial it in different like 40 different locations around uganda and a lot of this was trying to understand the kind of i guess the cultural requirements for their for their communities and how they wanted to do their business models to ensure that they could do it in the way that they wanted. So we had quite a lot of feedback while we were out there around, and actually in Uganda, apparently, according to the people I met, um, they're really keen on owning stuff. So pay as you go is less interesting because they don't own it. But when you talk about kind of lease to own, it becomes a much more interesting proposition for them because they're gradually paying off. And at the end of the end of the day, they'll own the item. And that makes it a much more interesting commodity for them to, to have. Um, and so there's kind of this, this big push, especially the energy catalyst, to to look specifically at the challenge in country rather than think generically just about energy access, because the challenge is to make sure there is this kind of just transition and that we leave no one behind. And and a lot of that narrative is about working in partnership with local people to understand what they want and need and how to make sure we go about it in the correct way. Right. And sometimes it's it's also getting back to sort of branding and nomenclature, right? Because 
uh, depending on the provider in the energy access pace, uh, you know, pay as you go actually is lease to own, but it might not be called that. I mean, there's different models, right? So in some cases, you are just literally renting the equipment, if you will. Um, but you know, pay as you go. What did you say that's become? Or whether we call it pay as you go or leasing. Wouldn't you say that's become a very important piece of making productive use affordable to many of these target customers? Yeah, I mean, very few people could afford to spend thousands of pounds on a technology outright. And so these business models are making them work and be it kind of them aiming at communities. We've got quite a few projects um, that are looking at community ownership versus, you know, like a single farmer ownership or the like. Um, but these are really important different ways of of trying to do things innovatively in order to make energy access work in country. So there's a lot that we talked about on the program today about energy catalyst orientation. But I'm curious, you know, looking across your peer group uh, with similar funds from different government entities, whether it's Norfund or uh, USAID, etc., what do you think is really distinct and special about the energy catalyst approach to funding innovation? I think kind of one of the key things that we've always been trying to to keep no matter what is the kind of idea of flexibility. Um, so energy catalyst can we can fund anything from like an early stage to a late stage project. And what that means in kind of, I guess, practice is that you can come out of university and graphene is one of the kind of key examples of, of, of this and go, well, actually, we've developed this new material, graphene, what on earth do we do with it? Well, Energy Catalyst will fund you a feasibility study in order to work out if, for example, that can be used in storage. And then if that turned out to work, you could then apply for either a mid or a late stage project, which would be um, funding it to see, okay, if it works with feasibility, can they do a, you know, a prototype or a pilot of that in full scale and then we can even take it on to kind of pre-commercial demonstrator where you're trying it in the field and working out what the operation and maintenance model is so it's very much meant to be this one-stop shop where you can get stuff all the way from university to pretty much to market where you know and you've got the confidence that the you know the program might evolve and we've evolved quite a lot but actually the fundamentals of what we're doing which is sustainable clean energy access isn't going to change and that really provides like stability within the market to make sure that you know companies and especially SMEs like SMEs you know they've not got that much money and time is precious so to get them innovating in this area you have to provide them confidence and trying to provide this flexibility of, of being able to do what they want when they need rather than pushing just down a single track stimulates much better innovation you know if I knew what the next next you know big thing was, I'd be doing it myself. Wouldn't be getting other people to do it. Sadly, not clever enough to do that bit. So you know, it really is about providing a platform where you know it gives the confidence for innovators to be able to explore this opportunity to find the mar- the next you know next massive thing for market. Yeah, no, and I love hearing that because you know there's a very sort of well known problem in our sector of uh, certain funders continuing to pick the winners as opposed to ensuring that we're, you know, trying to create a thousand flowers blooming, as some would say, that we're actually creating the number of businesses and the diversity of businesses that we need to ensure energy access for all. And so I've always been a fan of the energy catalyst approach. And 
And I'm curious, you know, you've been with the program for a while now. Do you have some sense of what the sort of maybe top three lessons learned over the years at Energy Catalyst might be in terms of, you know, how to, to spot a, a company that looks like it'll be a good investment or, um, you know, what kind of countries are, are the best to invest in or even what, what kinds of technologies. I'm just curious, maybe uh, your top you know, few lessons learned from your time at Energy Catalyst. Um, oh, gosh, I, I wish I wish things were that simple. I probably... <laughs> So where it is becoming increasingly clear that there are easier sec or easier countries to tackle. You know, if you've got a energy access project, Kenya and Nigeria, they do a lot of them and they tend to do very well. It doesn't mean the best projects come from those countries or, or, or happen to start in those countries. It just means that if you're an SME, it doesn't really know the market very well. The you know good bets to start, I guess, exploring your ideas there. Um, in terms of technology, like the, the thing that's most exciting for me at the moment is mini grids and storage. So mini grids have had such a bad rep for a while, um, but actually, if you, if you look at even what the UK is doing and some of the work Innovate UK is doing there, we're looking at distributed generation. And actually, the problem we've got is massive infrastructure kind of legacy where. It's very expensive to get rid of and we're, we're so tied to a centralised way of creating energy. It's really hard to do decentralised. And actually, it seemed to be a much better way for doing renewables. Africa and Asia have less of that. They have less of the embedded infrastructure. So they have this massive opportunity to leapfrog and mini grids kind of inability to, I guess, make money has kind of been centred around not being 24 hour access. And so some of the, the kind of developments we've got with bioenergy and um, kind of storage to make it 24 hours. And the way we're kind of integrating productive use and anchor loads means that there's this massive opportunity that we might actually about to crack kind of mini grids properly where they're not going to be dependent on grant funding. And then there's like storage, you know, I spend I spend quite a bit of time in Af- Africa and Asia and the sound of a diesel gen set is, um, God, they're noisy. I don't know how people live with them. Um, you know, you're in this, beautiful area and then you just hear can't stand it um and so actually kind of i think storage and the diesel gen set challenge there's this massive opportunity in terms of new chemistries but also just reducing costs and it's a slightly different challenge to the one that you're seeing kind of in the north where it's kind of much more around kind of cars but actually stationary storage and second life batteries and things like that and new chemistries have got an interest a really interesting challenge and I think we're going to see some really big things kind of coming from that and grid stabilization over the next couple of years um not sure I you know like I, like I said before if I, if I knew the answer I definitely would be doing it rather than funding it but it is fascinating to see what what people are kind of working on at the moment and yeah those areas really excite me yeah, and I mean, I think you're getting to the heart of one of the bigger issues for Minigrids, right, which is business models. And um, there's certainly a number of ways to to look at that. And uh, obviously, cross-boundary, RMI, others are doing great work around that. But um, I, I think there's a really unique opportunity in particular to find ways that Minigrids can work with centralized grids 
um, to, to help each other out uh, because there's there's no way that we're going to get to 100% energy access um, with simply the decentralized sector doing it on their own or the centralized grid. I mean, it's really uh, going to take um, an integrated approach. Um, that's just my little editorial comment for the day. That's one of the other lessons I think we've learned from Energy Catalyst is the community is really important. Um, so the community of innovators working together, not just on a single project, but across projects is really valuable. So those lessons that, you know, people are learning and sharing with industry and helping people not to make the same mistakes actually progresses the industry much quicker. And having worked at Innovate UK, I mean, I've, I've worked at Innovate UK for seven years, took over Energy Catalyst about three years in. And um, the community around um, development and energy access is much more open and collaborative than any other kind of market I've worked in and I think that's really testament to what people are trying to do and you know I think it's a really special thing that we need to harness more to make to make the most of the opportunities that we've got. Yeah indeed Um, well just a final question for you sort of looking out into the future um, what does the future hold for the energy catalyst programs I know you've got some uh announcement coming up about some future funding rounds, etc. Um, but I'm just curious, what do you see uh, in your uh, heart of hearts as a future of the Energy Catalyst program? So we're hopeful that we're getting new money in. So as I mentioned earlier, Transforming Energy Access is, you know, has a lot, a lot more money announced at COP and we're hoping that's going to filter through. And hopefully by the time this comes out, you can check our website and information about round nine will be up. So if you haven't taken a look, definitely kind of pop on there and, and see what you can find and see if it piques your interest. Um, in terms of the programme, the, the bit that excites me is because we've got these early, mid and late stages, actually seeing some of the companies that I've been working with since 2018, 19, start to kind of come in at feasibility study. And then quite a few of them are starting to do like those late stage pre-commercial demonstrators now and are starting to get in that major investment. So seeing the impact that some of the projects are making and and how they've gone about that, I guess, journey is the most exciting thing for me. You know, seeing actual impact is is an amazing privilege and is great when you see the company starting to, I guess, make money and not need us anymore. Um, they leave the, the energy catalyst um, flock but never out the community but actually they can make it on their own and um yeah that's that's a brilliant thing to see and we hope that a lot more of that will happen soon yeah fantastic well alice i can't thank you enough for your your time today and i can't thank our listeners enough for their time as well so uh, it's been a great conversation and uh, a reminder to everybody tuning in that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website at powerforall.org, as well as through the Platform for Energy Access Knowledge, or PEAK. You can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter, and if you'd like to support our work, we'd welcome that. Uh, you can make a donation via our homepage uh, at powerforall.org. And this is until next time on the Power for All podcast. <laughs>